Let's turn it off a second. Blimey. Crazy, those metronomes, aren't they? Those sort of tempos. Uh, welcome. Uh, thanks for coming back. Hope you're well. Um, this is episode 32. Um, it's kind of a follow-up from last week, really, and a few other different things. Um, yeah, I'm feeling a bit kind of head claustrophobic today because I uh, sort of made a decision to wear some earplugs with the headphones and um, it's just funny when you start speaking and you sound so strange in your own brain, you know, that sort of um, hearing your own voice in your own head, which is um, not something I want to hear anyway. So, um, yeah, feeling a bit um, spaced out after that sort of bit of improvisation. Um, I'll talk about that in a minute. It's kind of the subject of today's well, it's, yeah, it's today's podcast, but uh, talk about a few other things as well. But um, yeah, hope you're well. Um, hope you've had a good week. Where I am in the UK, things seem to have slowed down a little bit. So not great news. Um, but I'm just kind of cracking on with uh, working on some stuff. Got some. Come out, I mentioned I bought some better microphones and uh, been trying to do a bit of tracking and just generally getting kind of better at recording. Um, and then also the thing that's really nice because there's no kind of gigs looking at that happening soon, and uh, I've done a little bit of recording away from home um, in the last couple of months, but that's uh, gone quiet a bit at the moment. So I decided to set up these uh, Sonor drums that I bought a while ago. I've been using the Yamahas at home. They're kind of my home kind of practice stroke sort of demo recording kit. It's quite a nice small kit. Fits nicely in this room. It's not a very big room, the drum shed. Um, but I sort of decided that I wanted to set a five-piece up again and play a five-piece, um, deal with the kind of ride a bit further over to the right, which I don't fundamentally like, because in a physics sense, it sort of goes against my sort of core beliefs of of trying to, you know, pick the arms up from the natural position when the ride symbol's kind of, you know, over there. It's a little bit just away from where my arm wouldn't actually pick up. When, you, when the ride symbol's where, where the mid-tom is then it's kind of basically that sort of position is actually just where you pick your arm up, isn't it? Where, and But it's, it's a bit of a compromise. The ride's only, I'd say, you know, eight inches further to the right. Um, but yeah, I wanted to track some drums and I wanted to, and I really love this bass drum, this 20. It's reminiscent of a drum I used to own years ago. It's DW bass drum. Um, it's very similar. I think it's actually a bit better. Um, I think it sounds even more fat. Um, but just to share a progress thing with you, um, as I was talking about, I think a few weeks ago, about you know making progress and setting a new standard for yourself, um, I've been practicing everything with this wooden beater and using it for pretty much all recording. This came from something that happened last year when I was recording. And um, 
had this whole thing about learning to play uh, everything flat-footed, just don't picking up, not picking up the heel at all um, when I'm practicing and I'm going when I'm recording. But it's, it's, no, it's not a, a rule. Uh, I don't really like to set rules, but it's it's a kind of uh, it's something that I've been kind of trying to commit to for a few years, and and this lockdown thing has really helped me. Um, sort of do that because I kind of made a decision that you know okay I'm not going to be gigging so I might as well while I'm practicing make a commitment to um, you know to to one specific thing a technical thing and then it led to another thing um, which is about height um, I have as people that know me uh, have known me over the years uh, as a drummer and as a friend uh a lot of those people will know that I've really struggled with height. Um, and I remember I remember when I was studying with Dave Hassel and I asked him some advice and he, he wasn't um, wasn't very helpful, to be fair, to Dave. Um, Dave was very helpful to me. But when it came to height, he, he really wasn't very helpful at all. Um, and I think that it's one of those things where I actually don't think people can really help you. Uh, and I remember at the time feeling quite disappointed about that. Like I thought there was an answer to this problem, and you know, I saw I looked up to Dave, you know, uh, hugely, and and still do. Um, uh, you know, he's just a great fountain of knowledge. Uh, he's got so much kind of resource of um, you know of information and uh, experience and all those kind of things as as a player and a teacher. You know, which is very important. It, I don't know whether just having one of those things... Uh, well, if you're just a player, it doesn't matter, does it? Because you're just playing. But when you come to teach, I think people that don't play in lots of situations and have that experience to share, I think it... Um, for me, it lacks depth. That's my opinion. It'd be a bit contentious, but... I think in some classical worlds of studying, because uh, I studied at a classical school, and there were some teachers in that school who definitely weren't kind of active performers, but because they had real specialism in certain areas of the instrument, and a lot of this was piano, actually. It didn't matter so much. But on the drums, you know, I think, because um, it's quite a young instrument and it's evolving all the time, as as is rhythm, as we know, you know, rhythm has become much more sophisticated in the last 10 years, you know, music that's been composed, contemporary jazz and prog music, uh, is really pushing the boundaries of what the sort of classical tradition has been pushing for a long time, you know, um, and that kind of new music, that sort of uh, polymath, contemporary classical uh, music has also been kind of, uh, you know, in that area as well. But yeah, the, the, the thing about the, sorry, the, the drum thing, about the technical thing was I, I was really looking up for today for an answer and he didn't have an answer because... The answer is uh, not supposed to be some kind of Zen thing or something, but the answer lies in ourselves, and it's it's about just finding the right physical place to be. And I really struggled over the years with this because uh, I've got I've got kind of longer legs than I have a body, so my my torso is kind of I'm, I'm six four hundred ninety four centimeters, quite tall, um, but my actual body is probably shorter than the sort of proportion of the rest of my body. My legs are very long, so I've got this thing of when I sit at the instrument, 
got long legs and I've, so I've got to deal with the distance thing you know it's uh, the legs are kind of in the way if you you know so to speak and sitting high always felt like the answer because I've got long legs so I've all sit high but I never felt like I had a center of gravity really a proper center of gravity and there'd be certain situations and this really came to the fore for me uh, last year when I was recording um I was just feeling really, really off balance. You know, I wasn't feeling like I was kind of sat at the instrument. I felt like I was leaning on the instrument uh, or trying to balance away from the instrument when playing it. I just wanted to feel like I was, you know, my core was really centered. And it, what it came down in the end to me was I got to this thing where, because I wanted to do this flat footed thing in the bass drum, I realized that actually I could just sit lower. Because I can still play, you know, I can still, like, that's picking up the heel and playing um, heel or ball or whatever you want to call it. But the fundamental position is this, and uh, and it's also in the, in the left foot as well. I've been trying to um, be a little bit more disciplined with the left foot and try to just uh, practice particularly everything with the heel down. So I made this decision um in march so i just tighten up the drum stool made his decision in march um the end of march after sort of being um you know after things sort of went a bit quiet and locked down a bit um and sort of getting into the easter break which didn't feel that much of a break this year really it was a bit of a strange time but i just made this decision to to sit lower and I mean really low and for the first time ever and this may surprise you I actually got a tape measure out and went for a specific height and stuck to it really committed to it and I've only done I think I've done sort of three uh, played three times away from home since March um, and they were all recording things um, uh, I mean, playing a, a full kit, I mean. And uh, what I would normally do in the past is I would have normally, you know, go into those sort of performance situations, I would have, I'd have wimped out on it, you know, I'd have given up and just heightened the stool a little bit and then got a bit higher and a bit higher. And I didn't do it. And it's so funny now because I'm sat here now, you can't see me, but... Um, I f it feels really, I feel really at home at this height now. It's funny, I can't imagine sitting higher and then having to bring all the drums higher and just that feeling of like getting more and more top heavy, you know. Um, and it's funny because dif different drummers have different views on this. Um, and I remember speaking to, uh, I won't mention who this is because it's just their opinions and I don't want to, they, they can share their own opinions. But um, a phenomenal drummer that I know a bit and uh, I'm a great fan of his um, been very lucky to, to spend some time with him um, British drummer and he sits really high and he has a real uh, he has a, he has you know there's a real conscious decision about why and it's about being on top of the instrument and when he plays he looks so relaxed and on top of things you know and so I think I think I was kind of drawn a bit by that, and we had this conversation quite a number of years ago. And then also I've taught at college 
I taught some of um, some Norwegian drummers and um, one young chap, very, very good player. Again, I won't mention his name, but he's just, um, he's just gone back to Norway. Um, great player, uh, very musical, uh, very groovy, uh, very inventive. He sits ridiculously high, like the stool is as high as it will go, you know. The stool can't go any higher. It's like he's it's teetering on the edge of sort of, you know, structural catastrophe, you know. But he just makes it work. And he, and he, and again, he, he looks really relaxed on top of the instrument, does a lot of that kind of, you know, when people play with the stick and the fingers, you know, he does a lot of that kind of stuff. And it all just looks so relaxed. And again, I think you just watch people, don't you? And, you, you know, we're always open to, always open to what's going on and i think and just um having the view that uh you know i just have a view that well i always like the sound of other people anyway you know just just fundamentally i just always hear myself it's so boring and then you hear other people and it just sounds amazing and uh and i have that same view in people's opinions you know i just think we can learn so much from each other by simply being open to the possibility you know just that and then it's just making a decision uh, how far you engage with something, isn't it? You know, and what you experiment with. Uh, but this feels like a real, it's like it's been quite a profound thing for me, this this hype thing. So, yeah, I just wanted to share that uh, vibe, really. Um, it's been a big deal. And playing with a wooden beater. So there's this thing of, of, of playing flat-footed playing with a wooden beater which is a which is brutal you know the wooden beater is so cruel it it uh, I, re I was recording last year with it and I had the camera on recording video myself watching uh, you know just video myself when I was doing the doing the tracking and uh, I was watching some of it back I just wanted to hear what the balance of the instrument sounded like in the room away from all the mics and stuff. And I wanted to watch how I was playing. And it was the beginning of this thing of playing flat-footed. It wasn't the beginning of sitting lower. Uh, and I wish it was because the bass drum, there's some fundamental problems. There's getting a lot of this kind of thing where you hit the bass drum and then you get a second hit, you know. Really unclean playing, really, really bad, you know, really, really crap. <laughs> but uh, since I've started sitting lower, I've noticed that that's really diminished a lot. And now I don't know whether it's because it's com all those three things compound each other. It's just more of an awareness of playing from the bass drum. That's definitely been a core thing. I think I talked about this a few episodes ago. There's, I've been thinking more of playing from... You know, this from the bottom end of things, not thinking, oh, it's about the hi-hat, you know. Oh, it's this hi-hat, it's this semi-quaver, yeah, da, 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 thing. It's not that, it's, it's, it's actually... As soon as, I take, as soon as I take my kind of eye off that or concentration off that, if you just listen back a little bit in that clip then, when I was talking about the hi-hat, focusing on it, You'll hear that the bass drum started to become like a little less focused. Whereas if I'm really concentrating on the bottom end, the rest of it feels to me like it takes care of itself. I think the reason why is that I definitely have 
much stronger technique in my hands. Um, I think a lot of drummers would probably say that. Not all, but you know, some some drummers are real. Um, they're real foot specialists. You know, they play double pedal. They play some quite interesting foot techniques and what have you. Um, I would say. I mean, I don't think I'm a specialist of anything, but if I was to, you know, to obviously vote for <laughs> which one I would put, you know, on the line, so to speak, it would be the hands because I've definitely done a lot more work on the hands. And I spent a lot of years not really doing as much work on the feet as I should have been, you know, especially coordinationally. I've been really, really shirked a lot of that hard work when I was younger, you know, which is unfortunate, but, you know, we can't do everything, can we? But uh, definitely a bit of a lazy a bit of a lazy person in that respect um but yeah it's just nice to to be like in a situation where you can really just just focus on the feet you know just have that kind of focus on the feet not worry about gigging and pressure of playing sort of music and doing different things just being able to take your time and just concentrate on some stuff for a while and uh you know, I feel like uh, things are may maybe aren't going to improve greatly soon. Uh, I'm not sure, but we'll see. But um, hopefully by, you know, next year, by after Christmas, things will certainly have improved and we'll be getting back to kind of playing live again and stuff. And then it's, I feel like it's, you know, my feeling is is to sort of almost relaunch you know, I think times like these, it should be viewed as an opportunity to kind of reset, you know, and almost relaunch yourself in a way. Uh, not say, oh, suddenly I'm now a, you know, a funk specialist or, you know, I play reggae or something. <laughs> I don't mean like that. I just sort of, just like resetting yourself and coming back, you know, different and hopefully, you know, maybe better and more developed and more rounded. I don't know. Um you know, it's a nightmare, really, in it because it's a never-ending journey. Even if you specialise in like one very small thing, it's still, you know, um, it's still like a never-ending journey. Even if you're just trying to get like that together. You know, as you kind of lock in, you realise that you don't want to do anything else. You know, that's one side of it. We're all trained to... You know, to be all fancy pants and do all these funky things. And that kind of activity playing is where, you know, um, it's, it's easier to be more active, isn't it? I certainly, if I'm playing like a groove... If I'm getting that left hand, if I'm letting that left hand like do what it wants to just do. Um, I remember Keith Jarrett talking about this a few years ago when he was uh, he had this thing where he had a lot of time off because he had this ME thing, and then he came back and then he he made quite a lot of big statements about his playing before and after. One of the things he talked about was about this thing of allowing, just allowing his left hand to be more free, allowing it to give it, you know, to sort of do what it's sort of wanting to do. And, um, I mean, his left hand always sounded amazing to me, but you kind of hear sort of, he's got a slightly different vibe 
uh, from that point onwards in his left hand. It's great, you know. It, it's definitely more free and uh, more kind of, I don't know, expressive or... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I just, I mean, there's, there's something great about control, isn't there? But so, you know, it's all kind of swings and roundabouts. But I'm just sort of letting my hand... I'm just letting it do whatever it wants to do, you know. It's like ill-disciplined. But it's it, because of that ill-discipline, it's easier then to be kind of, uh, to get into things because the, I'm not having to be specific and then get into things and then go back to being specific again. And that's one of the skills that we need to learn. And uh, I was tracking some drums today for myself for a track. Uh, this uh, It's like a sort of slow groove. Maybe that's why I'm playing this. That's why I'm defaulting to that groove, actually, because it's um, the, the the track is kind of that vibe, and I was just getting into this thing of doing a few takes to get a sound together, and uh, from that this this one fill appeared, and, and this fill had a, a bass drum lead thing in it, which I never do. I never lead in the bass drum with fills. I always I always round off fills, you know. You know, I, I round off the phrase with the bass drum. I never sort of start off a fill with the bass drum. And it's interesting today because these this fill came out of this uh, when I was doing one of these sort of early demo tracking things, just getting kind of in the pocket, trying to get a, a headphone mix right and stuff. And it became like the whole focus of the next three takes. And I've ended up with, uh, I had one really nice fill which I uh, exported the, the take and I was going to maybe use it and splice it in. But then I did another take at the end, a whole take without any errors. And it had a really nice, very similar fill. And so it's just that thing of like, you're getting into this sort of disciplined place of, of being compositional almost, you know, with, with what you're doing. It's like there's a, there's a kind of a thematic aim, if you like, you know. And that, that sort of leads us on to today's topic which is linked to last week so last week uh, just a bit of disclosure about last week's episode if anybody's listened to it which you may or may not have done i had a real nightmare with that episode because i didn't like today i basically i've got an, an extra sound card which um, i used to use for recording it's a quite a nice sound card but it's just a two-in sound card and i bought this really nice sound card it's eight-in thing and on the Mac, it's great because you can you can run this aggregated device thing and you can just use the two devices together. So, uh, so what I should have done last week was, was have my drum set up and then I have the metronome, which I've got now. Whoa, there it is. Have it on actually recorded into the computer and on my headphones. And what I was doing last week, because I, I think you heard, is I just had it on the floor, Tom, and then I had earplugs in. Uh, because I was in this small room and I was playing and uh, it, just, it just kind of gets a bit tiresome after a while. And so I ended up in this situation where I was kind of trying to play these quite complicated things and couldn't really hear the metronome. And then you couldn't hear the metronome when I was when I was trying to mix it. So then I went, I had to, because I did two tempos, I think I did 82 and 88 or something. I can't remember, 85 and 88 was, sorry. I then set the logic uh, I set the logic project to that and then I had to cut each track and sync it up with the metronome. So half of the thing was at 85 and then when I went to the 88 thing later on, I had to change the tempo in the logic project. It was a nightmare. It took me like a day to edit it. And um, 
it was just like horrific. So today I was like, I'd taken, taken about three hours to set this up because I wanted to get the metronome going into the computer and monitoring so that I could play along with it and so that you can hear it afterwards. I can mix it and there's no messing about. And this has just been so much easier. So I should actually be able to play in time today. And so that opening, um, yeah, so that's why some of, the, some of the playing last week was a little bit sketchy. But actually, you know, as I said at the time, it doesn't matter really. I'm not, I'm not bothered about it's not a performance thing. It's about ideas, really. It's sharing ideas. If anybody listens to last week and they kind of get inspired to get into that stuff, uh, that's like job done, you know, for me. It's really about sharing things and about getting people excited and, you know, thinking about the drums differently, you know. Because um, that's why I listen to drum podcasts and watch drum videos and stuff. I don't watch it to reaffirm my greatness which doesn't exist but you know hey that's everything that i think brilliant i'm great it's almost the opposite you want to be challenged i feel like i want to be challenged all the time you know and i mean and i know i teach in a challenging environment as well uh, in a very positive way you know i'm challenged by my students because they're all really good and they're all playing really hard music which i don't know and i'm surrounded by amazing tutors you know uh, to college leads we have a phenomenal drum faculty we have um, Josh Blackmore, a ridiculous uh, young drummer who's all over this kind of odd time signature and polyrhythmic stuff. He's amazing and great technical player, great feel. Uh, Dave Hamlet and Dave and Josh were kind of at the same school. I think they were a couple of years apart, but Dave, again, it's like he's got like a mega feel and sound and he's really on top of all this polyrhythmic playing you know they're both great jazz players as well you know they had a jazz education jazz upbringing so to speak and then sebastian de Cromie, if you probably <clears throat> if you haven't listened to the podcast with seb go and listen to that i don't need to tell you anything about seb if you listen to that seb's like seb for me is jazz you know really is jazz um and then we have this guy called tim giles he's a mega mega british drummer you know and i've known tim a long long time and Tim was kind of getting, was kind of around when I was kind of getting, you know, into the sort of scene um, when I was in my late 20s. Tim's a little bit younger than me, but he was an up-and-coming drummer, um, came through the London sort of scene, and um, he's a great, great player. Again, really, um, there's just another another one that knows about all these polyrhythmic stuff, you know. Um, just, like, amazing. These, these guys are so, like, bright. Uh, and then we have um, a guy called Mark Sanders, who is uh, known for his free playing. He's a free player and um, he's world renowned and made a real decision to be a free player. You know, he, he didn't, um, he, he, he really had this kind of epiphany moment. And we, we talked a bit about that. And he's a lovely guy, Mark, very sensitive human being and amazing listener you know great listener when you talk to him as a person but he's a great musical listener uh amazing technique you know and and then he's so open at the instrument and so it's so inspiring being around these people uh and then we have a, a caroline bowden uh who i've known for a long long time and uh, caroline's just like a great all-round player with you know i'd say a jazz um inclination shall we say uh and yeah, yeah i've known Karen a long time and, and it's been like a real stalwart of the sort of northern uk scene 
and everybody knows Caroline, you know, and uh, again, just brings another flavor, another approach. There's this wonderful way of um, expressing how to connect with the instrument, you know, both uh, physically and emotionally. And uh, I've, I've listened to her teach a bit and, and been really inspired by that, that kind of that thought process, you know, that feeling process of kind of how we connect with the instrument. Um, so there, yeah, they're, they're the people mainly teach at college, uh, you know, they do the jazz teaching. I'm around that all the time, every day, every day I'm around those people and I'm around all the students that they are teaching, you know. And um, it's a huge amount of energy. It's a huge amount of uh, inspiration. It's a huge amount of challenges. It's a huge amount of knowledge, you know. So that's kind of what this is about, as I said before. And so the so the thing last week, yeah, the, the sort of performance side of it is not really whatever. It's just about sharing ideas. But um, I just it was just such a. I just wanted it to be a little bit clearer with the metronome. I wanted the metronome to sort of be in, at least be in time. The, the, the superimposed metronome, sorry, uh, that I put on to be in time with the original metronome, which you couldn't really hear on the floor, Tom. Um, but yeah, the thing I was playing at the beginning of this, uh, go back, it sounds like about three hours ago now. Um, I was playing this thing along with the metronome. This metronome's in seven. Five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So last week I was, a little segment, I talked about this idea of using a little bit of maths to get yourself into a position where you can express yourself, maybe in an odd time signature that you're not familiar with, but connect to your own vocabulary. Now, I was gibbering on for ages last week about my kind of um, where my vocabulary came from and the two primary time signatures that inspired me, and they are 4-4 four, four, and 3-4. And what I mean by inspired me is the, those were the predominant time signatures of my culture, and within my culture, I was inspired to play the drums. And so a lot of the stuff that I was playing uh, when I was younger, I was, I was listening to The Who, which I've talked about in one of the episodes, Keith Moon, you know. Uh, I was listening to The Jam, Rick Butler, and I was listening to Style Council, Steve White, you know. Um, so a lot of this music, a lot of that music was in 4-4. Four, four. Some of it was in 3 <clears throat> And then I was playing some other music, which was also, you know, in three. And I was talking about sort of playing, you know, like shuffle kind of things. And, um, you know. Those, those kind of things, just, you know, whatever. Um, talking about that sort of. Like I was saying, that was like rhythm five in some drum book I must have seen when I was about 12 or something. Um but yeah, and then I got into jazz, and of course the jazz thing, you know, it's kind of music that's in, uh, like a lot of people think, it's music that's in 4-4, four, four. but for me, music jazz is music that's in 6-8 or 12-8, really, I, don't, I just don't think of it in 4-4, four, four, you know, um, but a lot of real book standards, and that kind of standard repertoire that you get into, is written in primarily 4-4 four, four and 3-4, you know. And then there's this sort of take five thing, you know. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two. So 
5-4 or 5-8 thing, or whatever you want to think about it, is um, it's kind of clave-based. And the seventh thing was also always a kind of clave-based thing. It's always like 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3. And so if you think about that for a second as just a, as, a, as a sort of, as a block of a collection of beats that are together, a lot of my vocabulary playing in four and vocabulary that's playing in three is 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 quite different, you know. Um, one of the really nice things about learning vocabulary that's kind of based in three is it feels like it creates polyrhythm or or syncopation when you use those figures in four. Uh, So like that sort of, it's like a bludger thing, you know, the, and if ever you know the bludger, it's like, a, it's originally, I think it's a Tony Williams thing or something. People sort of attribute to Tony Williams. Um, I learned it, um, well, me and my friend, Elliot Henshaw, if you, again, he, he's been on my podcast. We sort of learned that together. And there's two different versions of the bludger. There's a, there's... And there's so the sticking is right left or a flam. I don't think of it as a flam. I think of it as a, as a rhythmic happening. But it's a flam if you want to think about it in that way. That's totally cool. So it's right left, tom to snare. It can be anyway. It can be you know or or it doesn't matter or it's just the easiest way to learn it. I think is to learn it from a from a rack tom to a snare drum. And then it's two strikes on the snare with the right hand. And then it's uh, it's rounded off with a single strike with the left hand. Right, left, right, right, left. Right, left, right, right, left. Right, left, right, right, left. Okay. And it's, but that, da, da, da. Is the is I think is the first version of it. It's not the one I ever learned, but it's the one I kind of heard later. Okay, the one I learn is is just smoother, more even, smoother, and it's linked. I think it's because I'm more, I'm more of a kind of, you know, my my vocabulary tends to lean more towards the, the double stroke thing. And it, and it tends to lean more towards the jazzier, lighter kind of thing, my, my vocab. Uh, it definitely suits playing heel down more. Playing those kind of things you can play. You know, they don't project because they're not loud, but they're, but they're great. It's great to be able to... Be able to use that kind of very light vocabulary when you're playing, you know, swing stuff, um, as opposed to playing it hand-to-hand. And playing it with a louder bass drum, which is more fusiony and rocky. Um, it's just having those two dynamic levels, I suppose. But yeah, I, I, the the bludger for me was always as opposed to, and it's just now that's the right hand, just the right hand, right, 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 right. Okay, you put a flam into it. 
you play the the left hand uh, at the end after the triplet. And the the fundamental of it is there's a there's a louder there's a louder left hand. I like that. And it got a sort of swing to it, hasn't it? Back. Etc. Et so, okay. Now, if you take that vocabulary and you put it into a groove that's in four, it's you have to play it very fast. So, if you're playing like. You know, and it, it just, or oh, you have to play it. You have to play it very slowly. But if you play it, it's in groupings of three semiquavers. So we're talking a bit, a bit like what we were talking about last week. It, 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 it creates something that's immediately syncopated. So if you're playing like... So, and there I was using the, uh, the you can do a bludger thing where you play multiple flams or, or at the beginning of it, so you get. Sorry, had a bit of a mistake there. You know, those kind of things. Now, I don't think of them as flams. I think of them as actually as a rhythmical happening. I think uh, if I hear that sound, I hear kind of. For me, it's Paul Motion or Motion, but it can also be Tony Williams, um, you know, but it's also Jack, uh, did you know, as well. So, but it's, it's, it's not flams, it's actually. It's single strokes, but played with a certain sort of articulation. Yeah, like that. You hear that the left hand's got a slight more weight about it. And a lot of those things is, you know, the rhythmical value, the way you frame things. So the flam thing's useful because you've got this kind of, you know, quiet, loud thing. And um, I've, I've done a whole thing about the flam in one of the earlier, earlier episodes. I'm not going to go over that again now. People know my sort of uh, my thoughts about the flam and what it is and what it means, where it comes from and what it is to classical snare drum players, statement sounds and what it is to drummers, whereas it's rhythmical happenings. It's something that's connected to groove and subdivision. But it's also connected to articulation and weight. So the bludger thing uh, is really useful. So... Just to go back to the other thing again, that that vocabulary, this all sounds so random, but it's, it, it does have a point to it. That vocabulary for me is based upon music that is based upon triplets or based upon three. And using that th that three-based vocabulary in 4-4 four four creates what I would call a more interesting or more syncopated kind of fill, which can be create more rhythmical tension. You know, if you're playing, you know, if you're playing like... A 
okay, that fill has a certain amount of tension about it. As it has, a, it, it's a statement. It, it captures the attention of the listener. You're saying something in the music. Why are you playing the fill? Uh, what is it? Why are you drawing attention to the drums? All those kind of things you consider when you're playing fills. And it's interesting when you're recording because you really get into. Um, for me, everything just gets simpler and simpler because oh, why am I playing a fill there? What's that actually saying? Oh, I'm thinking about it. What it's saying in the music, you know. Now, if I'm playing that same thing, if I play that, I think I'm playing something that's definitely drawing more attention to it by creating uh, rhythmical tension, you know, and maybe a bit of excitement. Um, you know, whatever it is, yeah, it can be for all sorts of different reasons. But I, it's definitely, for me, it's got that sort of feeling of... You know, that kind of syncopated thing, it's that... That kind of, the groupings of three semiquavers in 4-4. Four, four. Okay, so if we go to this thing in seven, which I was talking about, sorry, that I was playing at the beginning, which I'm still supposed to be talking about, and it's at this tempo. The thing I was talking about last week was um, about, so there's your seven, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. The thing I was talking about last week was about using maths and being able to get access to your own vocabulary, be able to play solos, and, uh, and maybe think about, oh, well, how can I navigate eight bars of seven? Well, one of the things I was doing in that opening solo, using this really simple device of just thinking, of flipping the time signature on its head, so to speak, uh, is, uh, this is maybe seven, eight. It's actually seven, four, but it's at 218. Um, but I think it's seven, eight, really. So if I play an eight-bar solo in this seven, I can also play a seven-bar solo in eight, okay? I'll just demonstrate that again for you now, very simply. I'll play an eight-bar solo in the seven, very simple solo. And I'll play a very simple solo playing seven bars of eight, okay? So, uh, yeah, I'll do that now. Three, four, five, six, we're back on to the beat again that's the seven bar the eight bars of the seven there i'll just turn that off because it's going to drive us all crazy but i was just playing basically in four four the only thing i was having to do was just make sure that i'm aware of the passage of time the passage of bars one two three four two two three four etc now the th the thing about being aware of passage of time is uh, is that it's a feeling more than anything. It's just getting into that feeling of of something having a length, you know. 
And so we're not counting, are we? We're just feeling and we're playing phrases. So as like this is the seventh thing. So I'll just play some four, four phrases over the top of the seventh thing for eight bars, just so you can kind of hear what I'm talking about. back there so that's the seven bars of four four one two three four one two three four one two three four etc at that speed and two and three and four and but now we can do a thing where we can go one two three four five six seven one two three four and we could think about um halving the value when we're playing in four or playing um using the stat division and thinking one two three four one two three one two three four one two three and going oh actually i can just i can just split them make them twice as long uh, i can think about this one two three four one two three four one two three one two three one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven one two three four one two three four one two three one okay so Again, I can go, actually, I could do four bars of that four, as in four of the divisions, and four bars of the three divisions. One, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, three, two, three, four, four, two, three, four, one, two, three, two, two, three, three, two, three, four, two, three, downbeat. Okay? So, again, it's just, it's just practicing those things with a metronome. Uh, and part of the thing of when you're practicing stuff, I'll just turn it off for a second this kind of there's this thing in practicing that i talk about when i'm teaching and you've got to be aware when you're practicing anything about what's involved in the exercise which is a really obvious thing so the first fundamental of this is i've got to be able to play in time with the metronome so if you can't play in time with the metronome go away and practice some simpler things with the metronome just get really comfortable with the metronome then understand the concept and then when you're practicing this you can just use be improvisational with your own vocabulary which is quite a nice way to practice and it's not kind of bypassing the discipline because the discipline is about staying within the form parameters that you've set so the form parameters are this two three four five six seven i'm going to use the short four and the, and the short threes or just using the divisions to play again an eight bar solo or a four bar solo in this division um so i'll just again i'll play uh i'll play four bars of the seven and then i'll do four bars of the of the shorter seven okay two three four five six seven Okay. I was just sort of ended on ended on a little syncopation there. Take a on the on the on just before the downbeat. Um which is we'll talk about that in a minute. But the 
I was fundamentally there just going one, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, three, two, three, four, four, two, three, four, one, two, three, two, two, three, three, two, three, four, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, etc. 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 So that's one useful thing that you can practice. I don't labor the point and go on and on about it. You can work out all the different mathematical things that you can do. There's lots of interesting things you can do with it mathematically that just mean you can sort of access all your common vocabulary that's in four and three. Most of my vocabulary is based upon those time signatures. Okay. So I want to just now move sort of on to talking a bit more about this thing I was doing last week and also just talk about the thing of of being a bit more free and maybe more complex time signatures. And uh, this is one of the ways that I just kind of get into the groove with something, uh, with, a, with maybe a polyrhythm. And again, I do it with practicing with a metronome on a common or familiar um, thing for me. So this is uh, in four, okay. Um, I'm actually going to get rid of the downbeat. I just think of it in one. So the so so that division. Is five. One two one two three. If I want to get into playing in something that's like groovy in five i always find that playing along to it with just a familiar metronome and hearing where the metronome works in the gaps where it sits in the gaps and when it comes around every five beats because it's because it's a five division thing i i always find that much more uh, interesting when I'm practicing stuff. So if I'm trying to, say, get this five, like a five groove together, the first thing I do is I may practice it uh, just on the snare drum or on the hi-hat as I was doing. That's just right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right, left, right, left. Sometimes I'm missing out one of the lefts. Um, the other place I can do that to make it interesting is I can do it on the hi-hat or the ride cymbal. that interesting but it's a starting point and for me it feels more groovy uh, having this syncopated metronome going through it and I still feel like I'm connected some for some reason to 4-4 four four because the fundamental groove that's going through it is what we call a, it's a syncopation it's a polyrhythm isn't it you know? so the next thing we could do with that is to maybe create some um, articulation or an accent. There's a great Eric Harland uh, version of this groove 
where he accents the second left in the five. Um, so in the group of five, you got right, left, right, left, left, and he accents. And he does it, it's a bit faster than this actually on the video. It's, it's just some video in, in his house, like a random video. And he sort of starts halfway through the video, so it's not that easy to find understand the context of it. But it's a really nice little pattern. Um, there's our fundamental five. And he adds this, um, this accent. etc so it's uh, again once you start to add in articulation then you start to find where things are slightly unsettled like i can certainly hear on that that i'm um, that i'm rushing a little bit so i'd maybe i'd go back to um just looking at the pattern without any feet i'd just get back into the five etc so what i just do there is like i'd alternate playing a heavy right hand and then the next one i would play the heavy left hand etc um, right left right left left right left right left left he does it like i'm doing it every second uh like on the first and the third of four lots of five um and then you can just do things like you can start moving it around the kit, you know. Um, so if we just turn the metronome off for a second, if you're playing. I think the one he does is he, he plays it on the higher. play something like that i can't quite remember but again it's just like it's like the tip of an iceberg isn't it um start off with those things simply and then work your way up you can create some really interesting kind of grooves um but when it comes to sort of improvising as well you sort of want to get into a thing where you want to feel like you're playing a little bit looser um it can be nice to practice with the metronome on this polyrhythm, you know, on this kind of, uh, this is f this is four beats, uh, sorry, five beats for every four lots of groupings of five. Two, three, four, five, back. So I'm playing, I'm playing the, the semiquavers here, but in groups of five. It's that five over four thing. 
Um, so it's good to practice that and just know where that kind of lies. You can play it between the two hands. And that in itself Etc. So I'm just using like the one, two, three, four, five, the long five, and then those divisions of one, two, three, four, five, two, two, three, three, four, three, two, three, four, five, four, two, three, four, five, downbeat. Okay. Just using those two different patterns to kind of link together playing like a long five, like five, four, and then five, sixteen. Because that's the thing you realize, don't you? You kind of go, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, we know we take all these things so for granted in, in like 4-4 four, four and 3-4, you know, where we work out where, you know, there's 16 beats in the bar and uh, everything's nicely sliced up into, you know, nicely compartmentalized. And, uh, and three is kind of the same as well, you know, um, the way in which uh, we phrase and think about playing in three. But when we get into things like five and seven, we forget that inside those um, type signatures is is the is the smaller versions of the same type signature. If you're playing like four four and you play, you know, four um, a, a fill with just four semiquavers for each beat, then obviously you know it's the first fill that probably anybody ever learned. <laughs> You know, it's so obvious, isn't it? But uh, if you're thinking in five, uh, you're thinking in that kind of, you know, that time signature, four, five, two, three, four, five. It's obvious if you go, you know, if you just go one, and three, and three, and four, and five, and that's kind of, you know, obvious. But then you flip it on its head, and you go, oh, I'm going to play four lots of five grouping. Then again, that's, you know, it's five, five beats in the bar. And so I don't want to go too much into more of the maths of it, but you can work out for yourself, again, what all the different mathematical permutations are. Um, and it's just having an option to, to flip things on its head, isn't it? You know, you can, you can practice this thing even this way 
or you can practice this thing in that way. You can practice with the metronome actually on, actually in the subdivision, sorry, in the time signature and uh, playing very much bar to bar. Or you can have it as a syncopation within the subdivision uh, and then sort of superimpose your time signature over the top of it. And this can help you sort of lead to this thing of what a lot of people uh, struggle with when they're playing in old time signatures. I hear this a lot and, and used to play like this a lot. Is that everything's bar to bar. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's like a thing where you're playing like a, like a thing in seven and it's like a Latin thing or something, you know. Um, Etc. Just, uh, just thinking of um, a tune like a jazz standard. Then, um, but it, it sounds can end up sounding very locked in, you know, very locked into the bar because everything's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So if I was going to practice that, I'd probably have this tempo. Um, Um, actually maybe I'd be more inclined to actually maybe start on the offbeat be brave get that 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 One of the things I'm using there, as you can maybe hear, is I'm using this short seven. Four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, 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 four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And you can use it, um, you know, whenever you like. But it's quite nice to have that ability to um, 
to play some phrases that are over the, the double length and have that faith that oh, I'm going to play one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So it kind of helps, I think, if there's a downbeat reference for you. Let's put this on to seven, put a downbeat reference on there. Five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So now playing in the sort of double time. Starting on the offbeat. So the downbeat uh, of the metronome is happening in, in like the middle of my phrases there, as you can hear. etc et so I'd like to play those little games where I'm sort of goofing around with the metronome trying to find my way back and a lot of it's just the thing that we forget is that we're practicing you know with a metronome in a fun way um so it's, like, it's this thing again about the sort of the different things that we're doing within some, an exercise that we're practicing it's nice to just be disciplined to play in time for instance, which is useful as a drummer, obviously. Um, but be amazed that, you know, it's it's hard to play with metronomes and be, you know, to be kind of consistent and not rush and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so one thing we could think about, just connecting the final bit of the jigsaw, it kind of comes back to the thing we were talking about last week when I was talking about this 20 what, 23 thing. And then, you know, using the metronome just in one, so to speak. Um and this is, the, again, the same thing, sort of thing in seven. So you've got this kind of long seven. So seven, four, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 
that's a seven eight thing. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, etc. And now we can think about the gear above and where that kind of fits. Okay. Wherever you want to stick it. But you kind of because because You've got this kind of the inside the, the seven eight groove is the is the center one for me the the four the seven four one this this slow one is what I is what kind of links for me for the longer phrases, but because the two three four five six, three, start on the right beat <laughs> so because this groove because it has all these kind of little skippy notes or ghost notes in it, these semi-quavers. It's kind of already, I'm already kind of implying that, that inner seven thing. Five, seven. Okay. Etc. It's just started on the wrong beat there, but it's just that feeling of of having that inside subdivision really starting to play with that.
sorry about that. Just a bit of uh, self-indulgence there. But it's just just messing around with those three things. And uh, then it's like a, just a, an observation thing in yourself, you know, where, where you feel the tension, where you feel less comfortable. And so that can lead you to think, oh, okay, I need to work more on that. You know, for me, uh, finding vocab in the 716 is more tricky. Uh, finding things to actually play. I can sort of play the division okay, but finding things to actually play is quite challenging. So so anyway, there you go. I think I've sort of gibbered on for uh, a long time. So I'm probably going to call it a day there. Thank you for listening. So next week, I'm hoping to get uh, an interview done this week with somebody. Uh, we're trying to line that up. Just about to reply to him, actually. Uh, and then got another couple of interviews that I've sort of asked people to do. I'm not sure if they're going to happen soon. Um, people are actually, which is great, very busy, um, which is good. But uh, just that vibe of, you know, trying to kind of pin people down. It's, uh, yeah, and find time for it. So the next week's episode, I'm hoping is going to be an interview. And then the week after, I'm hoping to do another one of these um, different subject matter altogether, but another one at the kit. Because you know, I'm kind of enjoying doing these. And I've got a bit of a better setup now, so at least I've not got some technical nightmare to have to deal with. So, yeah, thanks for checking in. Um, have a great week. And, um, yeah, if... Um, I'm hopefully back on back to the Sundays. It's been tricky getting it back to the Sundays. Um, just because it's a bit more tricky playing at weekends here. I prefer to play in the week where I live. Um, even though things at the moment are not quite back to normal, people more people are going to going out to work a bit in the days. So it's better to play in the, in the week than to have a bit of a rest at the weekend from the drums. Um, so because I'm doing these playing episodes, it's it's a bit tough doing them on a Sunday at the moment. So I'll get any episodes out on a Sunday. So um but next week I'm hoping to get yeah the interview out on the Sunday night. So should be uh, yeah, should be a good one. So great, thanks for listening and uh bye for now. <laughs>